Hello, you've tuned in to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. My name is Becky Odd Jennison, and I'm your host. Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved one's. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full-spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. Hello, before we get started today, I just wanted to introduce you, if you're not familiar, with another podcast that's out there surrounding end of life, and it is aptly named End of Life University, and it is Dr. Karen Wyatt's brainchild, and something she has been voraciously recording for for some time now. I think she has over 300 episodes. Karen does a full spectrum of interviews, um, not only some people's personal stories, but many times it's a bit from the professional perspective or end-of-life arena, people that are working intimately in those areas. And I have to tell you, her conversations are fascinating. Now, aside from that is that Karen asked me to be on the podcast and do an episode with her. And I have to share with you that that episode is extremely comprehensive regarding my story and how I landed doing this type of work. And that happens to be a question that I'm asked about frequently. In the future, there will be our two books released, um, Death and It's Terrible, No, No Good, Horrible, very beautiful lessons, field notes from the Death Dialogues Project, and then another book called um, And Then the Stars Spoke, which is a memoir through the lens of death. You'll hear more about me there if you're ever interested in reading those books where I pick apart my experiences from a child. But in this episode, it's really a beautiful conversation And we found our commonalities, how our things that happen within our work lives led us to this work. So I think that's a great place to go. Listen to that and check out everything she has to offer. Again, that's End of Life University by Dr. Karen Wyatt. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, listening to today's conversation. Today, we're speaking with Crystal Webster, who's the founder of Sharing Solace and author of Confessions of a Griever, speaker, entrepreneur, and most importantly, she is Madeline Elizabeth Webster's mama. 
When Madeline died in Crystal's arms just after she was born, she wanted to die too. It took her years to learn to live again, mostly because she realized her Madeline wouldn't want her to live the rest of her life waiting to die. Sharing Solace was founded from that love and hope to help grievers grieve and lovers love their griever through tangible, pass-alongable gifts wrapped in a meaningful community of support and strength so you can always remember you're not alone. I'm telling you what, this conversation is a deep dive and it has some very raw realness about where deep, deep grief can take us and the transformation, the length of time it can take in complicated situations such as this one with Crystal and Madeline and then ensuing infertility issues. Um, This was a protracted journey of, of loss and complicated loss. And I so appreciate Crystal's Um, ability to be real and be transparent. And because she knows she's been there, she knows it might help another person to hear her journey. She lays it on the line. I'm so pleased that you're here to join us with this. This is a classic situation of by listening to this, you will grow your muscles of being able to sit with people or to know how to better be in the presence of people who are feeling extreme grief. And I thank Crystal so much for opening her heart up with us today. Thanks for being here. Hello, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. It's been a bit of a wait to get you here. And I'm just know our listeners are going to really be gripped with your story as I have been, as I've been diving into your work even more recently. What I'd like for you to do, if it's okay with you and, and what our, our people that are on the podcast usually do is start out with your story of loss and and then we'll just hear how that has transformed you. But you and I will just chat from there, if that's okay with you. That sounds great. Sounds wonderful. Okay. Um, so my story of love and loss sounds um, very, very similar to so many women, unfortunately. I was uh, 32 weeks pregnant with my first child. And I went into the doctor's office for, you know, a routine appointment, routine ultrasound. And I heard the words that no parent should ever have to hear. Something's not right. I'm going to go get the doctor. And the, the technician left the room and could have been gone for five minutes or five years. Time completely vanished for me. Mm. Um, And she came back and, you know, told me to go to my doctor's office, which happened to be up across town. Um, Long story short, two weeks later, my Madeline Elizabeth Webster was born uh, via an emergency C-section. She lived for eight wonderful brief hours. And she died the next day in my arms. Oh my gosh. 
um, just yeah. deep, deep, heartfelt compassion and condolences for you. Like, yeah, I'm so sorry. Well, thank you. Um, we later found out, um, you know, months later after all of the medical stuff that they do. Well, mm-hmm. they told me they do. I don't know if I just heard that or, you know, they, they probably asked me if they were should do all of these autopsies and things. I was in such a haze at that point. Um, come to find out she had a genetic abnormality that made it impossible for her to sustain her own life. And they said, well, there's, there's two reasons that this could have happened. One, sometimes these flukes just happen. Um, and you know, you could try to bring Madeline siblings and everything would be fine. And Madeline just wasn't meant to be. And the other option is you have the same genetic condition and you pass it on to your children and the likelihood of you having biological kids is basically nothing. Um, and well, it, it, unfortunately it wasn't the easy option. Um, I have the same genetic condition that I passed on to Madeline that made it impossible for her to live. And so we tried with the help of science and medicine and all the things that are available to us. Uh, we had three rounds of IVF, um, and I could, you know, put in all the the medical terms and the this is and the that's. But at the end of the day, we tried three times with a lot of help from science. And Madeline is still our one and only, and and will probably and will forever be my my angel. Mm. So much loss in there with every step of the way. It sounds like. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of people realize the ups and downs and roller coaster and continued loss of infertility. Mm. And especially in, in, I mean, I shouldn't say especially because it's all individual, you know, and the, the enormity for every person is on their own scale. But when I think of your situation and um, having held your baby and um, the wish upon wish and hope upon hope that you would be in that situation again, yeah. uh, the complicating factors there. So I know I just am going to like, just say it right now because I've read your beautiful book. Um, that people can get your book and hear the entirety of your story and your processing and your grief, right? Yes. Uh, um, but for our listeners right now, <laughs> that that know, you know, so I feel like, okay, I, I, I understand the, a lot of what you've articulated so beautifully and so indignantly in many ways and, and even with humor, right? Mm-hmm. I try. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But where was your heart initially? How I can't imagine because you had some complications with your surgery as well. Um, yeah, if you could share with us a bit about that rec- physical recovery period and where your heart was and how your heart was being handled during that time. That's a good question. Um, as far as the, the physical recovery, because it was an um, emergency C-section, um, you know, there was, I was sliced and diced and all those good things. Um, and about, actually I was the day after Madeline's funeral. Um, I just was not feeling good and just felt, you know, um, and basically my incision opened back up. And again, it's one of those things I later found out that it was one of the biggest openings that my doctor had ever seen, or I don't know exactly how, but Mm -hmm. it was not healing well. Yeah. Um, so they basically put me on bed rest after the fact. Um, if you've ever had abdominal surgery, you know, they're like, stay where you are as much as you can. I was limited. I had to live in my living room, um, for, a long time, I want to say at least a month, and was only allowed to go up the stairs to use the shower maybe once a day because of this wound and how it was healing. Um, And so I just basically lived in my living room in this foldable bed and got to stew in my own grief and suffering. You know, because there's only, I don't care if you have a bajillion channels on the TV, there's only so much TV you can watch. And when you're that new to your grief, the likelihood of you being able to read or focus on anything is about none. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did, you know, I mean, I had wonderful friends and family that would come over and spend time with me and try to distract me. And my husband was there and... And I had all the right support systems in place. And also that can only do so much. Yeah. Um, so I basically sat in, in a self-loathing stew for mm. six or eight weeks as I physically healed. Um, which, Medicated to a yes. degree. <laughs> yes. Mm. They gave me mm. all the good pain medications. Mm-hmm. Um but again, you know, it, that's only good for so long. Absolutely. And it's just, yeah, I, even that, I'm sure, didn't mitigate the grief, really. Right. You know, I mean, it may have made you more comfortable in your physical pain. But after a heart wrench of that magnitude, there's no drug that's going to take that pain away. Right. I mean, and my grief is, is the worst grief imaginable for me. Mm -hmm. I do not in any way, shape or form believe that my grief is the worst end of sentence. I believe that everyone's grief is the worst grief to them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that being said, I can only speak to my own story. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so important and what culturally we've done so wrong is just put grief in a box. Yes. That is all the same shape and size. Exactly. Yeah. And and if I learn about that, even as a practitioner, if I learn about that, oh, then I, you know, and, and what I've come to learn and many other people, I don't know if you know, but, you know, my previous life, I was a therapist and mm-hmm. um, what many other people that I've spoken with too, it's like, what the heck did we do before the profound loss? I'd have loss, but that heart wrenching loss um, where you're dismantled and you're put back together differently. Yes. There's no textbook that can teach you that. No, there's not. And I'm not sure I would believe a textbook if there was. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't want to read it. Exactly. Because we, you know, we've, we've been trained to run from those stories and to run from those conversations anyway. Yes. Um, nobody's put them, opened the book and put it before us in a palatable way. <laughs> Previously, that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for yourself, because our audience may not know, this was 10 years ago? Yes. Yeah. She was born May 19th, 2010. Yeah. So, you know, the, you've, you've had some space and time. Yes. Which is unique. It's a unique perspective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, versus I'm talking to you a year after or two years after. And so with that kind of space and time um, and thinking of those very early days, and again, we can't generalize it to everybody else, but for yourself what would have been most helpful? And this isn't to say it didn't happen, but we won't even go there. Right. You know, but, but best case scenario, because I do think that this is particularly culturally a really difficult place for people to meet pe- people, a death that is very difficult for people to meet others in. Um, because what I hear from people is they're just so afraid that they're going to do something wrong or say something wrong, or what if they have children or what if they're pregnant? And so with, with the not, you know, with what you have now, the experience you have now in that early, early space and time, what would have been the most helpful for you? I was so wrapped up in being bitter to be perfectly honest you know, everything was wrong and the world was, was terrible. And, um, and I think in the early grief, a lot of people are like that. How in the world is everyone else, the world still spinning and people still going to the grocery store and my life has collapsed in front of me. Yes. How are people laughing and seeing friend like do they not understand that the world is over mm-hmm. um but one thing i really learned and it took me a long way long time to learn it and i'm not sure that if someone would have told me early on i would have been like oh okay great um right right yeah i, hear I feel you. like anything that anybody tried to tell you know any of the platitudes, anything along those lines. Okay, whatever. Or, or it will be like this later. Or, yes. 
Yeah, I know. That is a platitude at that point. And that's, yeah, we're, we're strictly talking just hindsight for your own experience. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think realizing that I could have two very conflicting thoughts and emotions in the same moment in time, and they were both right. Mm. Such as? Give Such as, example. you know, a, a friend tells me that she's pregnant. I can be so happy for her and miserable for me. And that's okay. Yes. And I think that not everyone either from their own perspective understands that and from the other perspective, um, you know, from the outside looking in. Yes. I think it's important. Uh, you know, I did have friends that I lost even years later because they got pregnant. Like we'd been best friends for, you know, a decade or more. And then, and now all of a sudden they're pregnant and I haven't talked to them because they don't know how to interact with me. Um, and that hurts a lot too. Mm. You know, yes, I might have a reaction to the situation when you tell me something good for you that I have always hoped for. Um, but that's a reaction to the situation. That's not a reaction to my feelings towards you. Right. And I imagine historically people, and maybe even yourself at that time, you get wrapped up in the anger or the, the, and then get angry at yourself. Like, you know, so you don't, it, there's almost like a barrier sometimes between jumping that fence that says, oh my gosh, but this is totally normal and I need to have some compassion for myself. Yes. Because I'm feeling this. You know, we can go down that spiral of self-deprecation. You know, yes. why, you know, why can't I be more generous in this situation? So then we just shut it off. We got to shut it off. We got to take care of all of that. Was anybody in that situation able to meet you in a place that was, you know, I want to tell you this and I know that this is going to bring up conflicting emotions for you. And I just want you to know, I understand all of that. You know, did, did anybody, were they able to just bring your experience up, bring Madeline up and in, into that moment of sharing their information? Yes. I actually have some, some very good friends that um, were very, very aware of my situation and very you know, they, they called me by myself, um, and just said, Hey, I have something to tell you. I wanted to tell you now. I wanted to tell you to your face because I know that you're going to have some feelings to this. Um, you know, as opposed to at a big party or out in public or, um, something along those lines. And that, I'm not going to say it was comfortable for either, either person, but I really respected that. Mm. Um, and, and it has gotten easier over the last few decades. 
years. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sting quite as much when a friend or family member announces they're pregnant. I still have like a gut reaction to it. Yeah. But because I don't your body like remembers. <laughs> break out uncontrollably in sobs. Mm. Like I did, like I used to. And it, again, it had nothing to do with the other person or how I, how much I cared for the other person. It was all about, do you not understand, does the world not understand that, you know, my life has been flipped upside down and this is just another reminder. Yeah. Well, it's a real baptism by immersion of the concept that for me was a real turning point of um the recognition when i could feel grief heart-wrenching sadness and joy yes um you know but my experience with that wasn't brought by such a stark reality i mean you really had your head dumped in that with, i'm sure with the first person that you were happy for and yeah. Yeah. Like, wow, these emotions can coexist. Yeah. And for a long time, and I think a lot of people feel this way, people think they have to stay in that blackout, darkness, sadness, grief. And that's mm-hmm. the only way that they can love and honor the person that they've lost. Um, did you, know. you feel that for a while? Oh, I did. I, I felt guilty anytime I had a smile on my face for a long time. Um, you know, how can I be happy my daughter isn't here? Mm-hmm. How can I be happy? I will never be able to experience, you know, this with children. Mm-hmm. And what what changed for you with that? Was it? something you can put a finger on or was it time or yeah. I think it was a, a, a big part of it was just time. Mm. And I realized for the first, you know, all through the infertility process, which was about five years, I was on hold. My entire life was on hold. Cause what if I got pregnant this round? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, so I'm just not going to do anything. Um, but I was also basically living my life just waiting to die. Mm. I was doing the bare minimum every day so that I could hurry up and go back to sleep so I would be one day closer to being with my daughter again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day I woke up and I was like, I can't, like, I either need to fish or cut bait here. Mm-hmm. So pick one. I really appreciate you illuminating this part and you do so beautifully in your book. And if you wouldn't mind highlighting that difference, what's that difference between I want to go be with my daughter and I want to end my life? Yeah. Um, I, I, I really believe that there is a difference between not wanting to be alive and actually wanting to be dead. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that sounds a little crass, but 
I, I've been there. I've, I've lived all of those emotions. Um, you know, I think, I think wanting to not be alive is part of the grieving process. Everyone longs for comfort. Mm-hmm. Everyone longs to be with those that they love. That's just kind of, I mean, that's, that's human nature. And I especially hear that with parents who've lost children. Yeah. But when you, when you're starting to like put plans in place or think about intricacies of how to do it, Mm -hmm. that might be a time that it is time to maybe talk to someone that can help you. Yes. I mean, you know, there, well, okay. To me, I'm just going to speak to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. um, You know, there are times that I'm driving down the highway and I'm like, Oh, what would happen if I just drove off this bridge? Mm -hmm. That's just kind of my masochistic brain going on a field trip, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it's not now if I was like, okay, well, if I speed up to 73 and a half and then wrench the wheel, that's a little bit more specific. Mm-hmm. And that's when I I feel like maybe I need to talk to someone that can help me a little bit more. And are you telling us that you never did get to that point with that type of thinking? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't know. Mm -hmm. Because there's such a fine line. There's such a thought. And and it's blurry too, I think. Yeah. And everyone's fine blurry line is different. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'd love to just say, no, uh-uh, never got to that right. point. Right. I don't think that's truthful. Mm-hmm. But something stopped you. So, yeah. And, and, and then, maybe, it was, maybe it was Madeline saying, knock absolutely. it off, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and then it's almost as if it was an epiphany, it sounded like at some point. Oh, yeah. Like a wake up that, yep. okay, I just, this isn't living anyway, or something, speak to that. I don't yeah. want to put words I mean, in your basically mouth. Basically, yeah. that's what it is. It was, mm. I am not living. So I either need to start living or start dying. Mm. And... You know, I I can't continue to be miserable the rest of my life because I'm making everyone else around me miserable too. And that's not fair to them. You know, forget about me. Yes. And how it's not fair to me to be miserable. I am actively trying to ruin their life by being miserable. You know, my friends and my family and my husband who had to live with me day in and day out. That's not fair to them. And it was. I mean, it was pretty much an overnight. Okay, 
I got I I've hit my rock bottom. I can either choose to stay here forever or I can start trying to dig my way back up. And what did that look like for you? Did you have support in digging your way back up? I did. Um, probably the two biggest and smallest things that helped me to dig my way back up is I started going to the gym of all things. Um, and sometimes I would just go to the gym so I could take a nap on the treadmill, (laughs) but I went to the gym, like I left the house. Mm hmm. Because for a long time, I wasn't leaving the house. Mm-hmm. You know, first I was on bed rest and wasn't allowed to leave the house. And then you kind of, I mean, we're all experiencing it through this pandemic. Like, how do I human again? Right. How do I interact with other people that aren't on a computer screen? Um, and so I felt like going to the gym was The, the best way that had the least impact to me in that I literally could roll out of bed. I didn't have to put on makeup. I didn't have to do my hair. I barely had to put on clothes. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to talk to anyone if I didn't want to because you put in a head- headphones and whether they're on or not, people don't bother you when you have headphones in. Mm-hmm. Um but it kind of taught me how to get out among people again. Well, in the field, we call that behavioral therapy, right? Yeah. So you didn't have to even have a lot of introspection about it. It was just putting the one foot in front of another and going through those actions repeatedly that actually had a profound effect on you. Yeah. And then the other piece to that was finding things to be grateful for in my life Mm. because it is very easy, you know, to, to find all the negative things and all the things that have gone wrong and all the, so every night before I went to bed, I would write down the three things that I was grateful for that day. And they had to be just from the last 24 hours and I couldn't repeat over and over. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, okay, I'm grateful that, I got a really good cup of coffee today. I'm grateful that I got to leave the house. You know, it was super materialistic and super petty little things that I was grateful for, but it helped me stay present and it helped me remember that there were good things in my life. Huge. Yeah. Simple, Mm -hmm. but profound. Yes. And tell us how that took on a life of its own for you, that action. <laughs> oh, yes. That's that's where the real epiphany strike of lightning happened. Once I kind of decided that, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to keep fishing. I'm not cutting bait. I'm going to keep fishing. Um, I really think that Madeline was like, okay, mom, it's about darn time. And... This is what we're going to do. And the concept and the idea and and everything about sharing solace hit me like a bolt of lightning. 
And there's no other way to describe it than Madeline saying, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. You've had your little pity party. We're going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it together. And, and that's how sharing solace came about. And I think what you're highlighting there that I want everybody to hear is to meet those places of magic. You've got to give your space, yourself some space. Yes. Right. That, that, um, space that's not self-deprecating space. That's not your internal dialogue of all the shoulds you need to do today space. And it sounds like because you describe it as a mindfulness activity that sounds like the journaling, the gratitude journaling for you was a way that could connect you to your true essence or connect you even to the divine and Madeline and, and block out some of the interference that had to be coming to you from all sides, because you're never going to get away from that. You're never going to get away from seeing children playing in the park with their parents and people having babies. I mean, I just have to bow to you that you have turned your life into what you've turned it into um, and the gifts that you're giving other people. But, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a testimony to that finding a practice that takes us away from what I don't think is the real and puts us in touch with the real, the real of who we are mm-hmm. and the real of the energy that's floating out there that we could tap into if we give ourselves the space. Eh? Yes. I like that. Mm. Oh, it's much how this happened as well. What mm-hmm. we're doing right now. I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And, and I do think it's a bit of magic, but I think, it's not the kind of magic that you have to go to a show for or that you have to dial, you know, I have to be the right person to do it. I think we all have that capability, but we are not programmed to make that type of space for us. We're programmed for the cerebral lists of things to do and busy, 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 and which actually just provides a barrier to that creativity Yes, of what you've done. I, right? I could not agree more. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, I find I'm best, you know, I have some of my best creative moments and my best thinking while I am on vacation. Mm-hmm. And we actually plan vacations so that we can just go and think. <laughs> Especially, we, we will rent a house in the middle of nowhere and just we'll take a suitcase of of clothes and toiletries and stuff, and then forty seven suitcases of books, mm. and that'll be our vacation. Beautiful. It's an honoring, and what I'm hearing all throughout your story that that I think is part of your journey, and I'm sure you realize it, is even at the very beginning, you were feeling your feelings, you were feeling them deeply, but almost. Sounds like you had some literacy about them as well. Like, and maybe I'm wrong and correct me if I'm wrong, but because I know, you know, your writing was, was many years later, et cetera. But it does feel that because I'm all about the whole part of the way and it's so hard. It's so hard because we want to run 
from that pain. We want to run, take a little extra medication, you know, to, or, you know, and, and we can do that. And I, and you make that point in your book, you know, it is okay to take a break from it all at times. I'm not saying that, but I think even from the very beginning, it sounds like you were very literate with what was going on with you. You were feeling the feelings. You were honoring your feelings. I mean, to pick up on what you did about the the conflicting emotions when the first time somebody said that they were having a baby, um, I think that's a space that's really important to be in for optimal healing and for optimal growth through love and loss. To feel those spect- that full spectrum, I call it full spectrum living. Uh huh. And it's so hard in those early days. Oh yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, and in the very early days, it was doom and gloom and everything was terrible. And like, I don't want to portray that I was, you know, the next day I hopped out of bed and know that you were feeling it. You were letting yourself feel it. Yes. And I think that's what's so important is you got to let yourself, there's only, you know, there's no way around it. You got to go through it and you got to sit in the sock and let it just wash over you. Let grief have its way with you. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. I know. Here I am, a professional in, you know, or what, you know. Right. A therapist gone rogue, as I call myself. I love but it. Even, but even me, it, you know, it's like, yuck. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not here to say that, oh, you know, if you follow step one, two, three, it gets all better. You know, it is muck and it's hell. It's absolute. Mm-hmm. Hell, and even when you have a beautiful view of them floating free, and you know, like even if you can have a belief system that sees that, it's still people are still having their hearts torn apart. Yes, and we have to honor that, we have to sit with that. It's almost like there's a just like your open wound, and I think you know, that's really struck me, and I haven't verbalized that to you. that I felt like there was a real metaphor for you with that wound opening up and, you know, you had to lay stiller than you would have had to lay (laughs) for a normal, you know, you had to wallow. You had to, you had to acknowledge the huge wound in your life. You had, we were given no choice. And you didn't have to address it emotionally like you did, right? you know, but but you were laid out with grief and with pain. Mm-hmm. And I think whether people want to admit it or see it or not, we all should be. I mean, mm-hmm. something that is the most traumatic thing in your life. Maybe we all should just be like strapped down to the bed for six weeks. Exactly. You know, it gets back to that whole move on mentality we have. Yes. Yes. Three days of bereavement leave we have. Because that's enough. (laughs) And now, you know, we're, again, that's why we need to have these conversations and improve the literacy surrounding death. Yes. And the aftermath of death. Because that's BS. You know, that, that's, and for some people, you know, there, again, there's a whole spectrum of relationships and intensity relationships. And much of what I think what we're talking about today is the, the deaths where your heart, again, is, you know, where you are ripped apart and you're put back together differently. And that takes time. 
that takes time. Yeah, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Oh, this piece doesn't really fit here. Okay, let's try it over here. Does it go there? Eh, it'll go there for a little bit till I find a better place for it. Mm. So how far along do you think you were when that aha came to you and you felt, felt yourself walking in the world a little bit differently? Um, it was almost exactly five years after Madeline's death. Um, People hear that five years. Yes. Five years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a long time. Um, And I think, I think it was really after my heart had told me that biological children were not in our future. Mm -hmm. Like I had kind of come to that realization that look, we tried, you know, we tried to have Madeline the natural way that, didn't work out how we wanted it to. We went through science that didn't work out how we wanted it to. Um, and so I really had to like realize that and, and kind of come to terms with that. And then I felt like my life could start to move forward in a, just start to move forward period. Yeah. I was taken off of pause and I could keep going. Because every one of those um, in vitro attempts, I'm sure, was just another death in a way for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it was, I was living an entire lifetime of emotions in six weeks. And I did that three times back to back. Because, you know, I mean... And and that's just how I do. I wouldn't wish infertility treatments on my worst f- enemy. Yeah, it is. You're physically uncomfortable. You're hormonally all out of whack. You're emotionally messed up because you know people don't just. Oh, it's Tuesday. I think I'm going to go get some get some IVF today. Mm-hmm. Um, you are just things are coming at you from every angle and it's tough. You get great news and then 10 seconds later you get terrible news Mm -hmm. and you know, you're looking at the statistics and statistics say this, well, you're only part of the statistics, which was kind of, you know, it's like, I'm a child of the seventies, eighties and nineties. Like, you anything you want to do, you try hard enough and it will happen and you'll be the best at it and mm-hmm. you'll get a gold star <laughs> and, and a trophy for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And this was something that I couldn't just try harder at. Mm-hmm. And that was tough for me. Um, you know, I, I couldn't just stay up later or write more or shoot more hoops or whatever it was. Right. Sometimes it just doesn't work out for you Mm -hmm. in the way that you thought you needed it to work out. Mm -hmm. Mm, So many layers here. So many layers. So tell us about transformation for you and what that's looked like. 
I really found that I was able to transform when I was able to start to say my Madeline's name with a smile on my face and not as many tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I think, especially early on, any type of grief, whoever you lose, whatever you lose, you try to say that thing, that person, that, and tears would just flood my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to hear her name and I want to say her name. And I appreciate that. And so I, the real transformation came when I found a way to speak her name and speak about her in a way that didn't make everyone else uncomfortable. Mm. Because that uncomfortable would make me uncomfortable. Now I can just, I can say Madeline's name all day, every day, and everyone just smiles about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I really want to just echo what you just said, because that's really important because you mentioned it a bit later. So, so any changes you made, it wasn't just about making other people feel better. It was about, the fact that how you felt when people were feeling uncomfortable. I mean, that had, there was a full circle there and it came yes. back on you. This was, this was not crystal being, you know, I just have to be the person that makes everybody feel better. That's oh, not no. what I'm, I'm the most selfish person in the history <laughs> of the planet. I will not do anything for you if it doesn't benefit me in some way. <laughs> Oh, okay. So this is a good segue. Tell tell us your book. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Your book. I mean, I was literally kind of blown away about your, you know, there's hilarity in it and heart wrench in the same sentence (laughs) much of the time. And I do believe it is that call that I hear repeatedly from people that if somebody's been, you know, I want to read something from somebody, they look for books about somebody that's gone through a similar thing. Right. And um, interestingly, I think it's that space and time that it's always going to be a heart wrench for you. Right. So there's only, you're never going to figure out that anguish, but, but the beauty that I found in that was you know, there's healing in that levity as well. And there's hope in that levity. Yes. So if I'm reading this a month out, and I'm just trying to look for everything that I can get my hands on, you know, I see some hope there that this person could go through these multi layers of loss and tragedy. And oh my gosh, she's being hilarious here. Well, thanks. I will never think of Las Vegas in the same way ever again. Good. Oh my gosh. You cracked me up. Your little, your hints. Yes. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. So anyway, tell us about your project. Tell us about your book. Tell us about everything you're putting out into the world. Oh dear. <laughs> so the book, I have to read the, I have to tell you the entire title because I think it's, uh, it, it just is so fitting. It's Confessions of a Griever, Turning a Hot Mess into a Hot Message, Laughable Lessons for When Life Just Sucks. Mm. Um, Because as we all know, sometimes it just does. 
that's how it works. Um, but what I really like about the book is, yes, there is a little bit of my story in there. Again, because I think it helped me to hear other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can share my story in hopes that it encourages others to share their story as well, that's awesome. Um, there is some a little bit of research and some tips and tricks and um, self-helpy a little bit. But it's a choose your own guide or choose your own journey book, which I think is, well, quite fitting for grief. Mm -hmm. So at the end of every chapter, whether that's in your life or in the book, you choose where you're going to go next. Or to put it down. You always do that invitation. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes you're just like, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. Or early on, I think early on, you have an invitation like, yeah. if this X, Y, Z, okay, just back away slowly. Yes. <laughs> Put the book down. If you, if you open it up and don't at least find humor in the first word of the book, then um, it's not this for you. Not your place. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um. Yeah, so that's that was uh, I wrote that book for Madeline's tenth birthday. Aww. Every year, I try to give her a little present. Um, well, congratulations on that. I'm in the writing process myself, and I know that that is no small feat, especially yes. when you're pouring your heart out, yes. um, or 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 sharing your heart and sharing your loss. I mean, I I. I feel that on a different level now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I really honor you for that. Yes. I was surprised I, I would do a lot of the writing at the local coffee shop just because change of pace, you know, and I would just be sitting there in the corner of this coffee shop with my computer and my big headphones and a cup of coffee, just bawling, mm. just typey, typey, typey ball. Mm-hmm. I, I got some of the weirdest looks and I was like, don't mind the crazy lady in the corner. Just, mm-hmm. just writing over here. Um, but that's kind of fitting for my life. Like, Hey, don't mind the crazy lady. I'm just going to do what I'm going to (laughs) do. So was the book first or was sharing solace first? Sharing solace actually came first. And that's what came to me right after like five years into my grief journey. Mm -hmm. It was, okay, here's this concept. This is what we need to do. So the concept is, um, Ultimately, we help grievers grieve and lovers love their griever through tangible gifts that are wrapped in a community of love and support. Mm. Um, Tell us more. So I found through my grief journey, you know, everyone was so I, I really felt wrapped in love through the heaviness of my grief. Um, And I got all kinds of wonderful gifts. You know, I I understand. I didn't know what to say to myself. And I had just been through the loss of a child. How am I supposed to expect, you know, great aunt Patty to know what to say to me? Um, I got some really amazingly sweet gifts, lots of teddy bears and baby blankets and figurines and things that I had everywhere in my house. Like I slept with the blankets and the teddy bears and I had the figurines on the just everywhere. Um, And I realized about five years into my grief journey 
that those beautifully loving gifts were no longer bringing the comfort that they once did. They were bringing back the pain of having Madeline gone. And so I realized for my own psyche and my own heart, that stuff needed to go somewhere. But what do you do with that, you know? Um, So to this day, almost 11 years later, it sits in a box in the closet. Mm. Because you can't throw it away because it's it's meaningful. You can't really give it away because, again, it's meaningful. And, I mean, a lot of it is – pink M's and butterflies and, you know, things, things like that. It's, it's personalized, but it's not intended to be in the back of a closet. Um, and so that's when I, I, well, I didn't do anything. That's when Madeline told me that there needed to be something that you could hold and keep near your heart as long as it brought you comfort. And then when it didn't give you that same comfort, you were actually supposed to give a piece of it away to somebody else that you know that needed love and support on their own grief journey. And so that's what sharing solace is all about. We make, I think, beautiful, um, we have a necklace and a keychain. And the idea is that you keep it near your heart as long as you need it. And then when, if, and when, the time is right for you. You're intended to pass along the little middle piece to somebody else that needs love and support as they go along their own journey. And then um, each middle token has a unique identifier that allows you to register it on our website and you can actually follow it as it moves from person to person. That is so cool. I, I think so. People really need to go to your website to check it out because it's a little hard to grasp. Um, yeah. You're explaining it super well. You're explaining it very, very well. But but even there, you know, mm-hmm. like you really need to spend some time on the page yeah. to grasp the concept, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's a beautiful. I just always, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people. It's like, I don't know if I could ever give it away. I don't know. And that's fine. I mean, it's, yeah. it's I've heard that. And honestly, the the necklace I wear, I haven't given away my middle piece. Yeah. Um, it's just knowing that the possibility could be there. Exactly. That energy. Yes. The energy of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's there's symbolism yes. to doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. It means a lot to me. And I mean, this is something that I get to do for Madeline every day. I have said her name, what, probably a dozen times in the last hour or so. And neither of us have broken down crying, or at least I've hidden it very well. Um, Yeah. And and I get to do this with her. As as woohoo-y as that sounds, I am not very smart and I'm not very creative. So there's no way that this was my idea. This had to be her idea. And so I, I, I use that. I, you know, I, I, she's my co-founder. We do this together. That totally resonates. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yes. And that said also on Instagram, you've got quite a community there, don't you? Yes. 
Yeah. I think so. I mean, and we have a community on the website, on Facebook. Yeah, It's just all about community. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, no, you're fine. I, th- I really think it's all about community and knowing that there are other people in the world, whether that's next door to you or halfway around the world, that have experienced s- similar losses and that they understand what they what you're going through. Yeah. You know, they- it's, it's almost in a, in a world I can imagine there's part of you, I wonder, because I'm envisioning it like that we all wear the necklaces when we're. And it's in and, and it's the nod that you can give, you know, like the black yeah. hands used to be for mourning, right? Like yeah. so you nod and you your heart sees their heart. Um yeah. Yeah. I I get scenario. a lot of compliments on my necklace. And sometimes I just say, Hey, thanks. You know, I'm I'm kind of partial to it too. And other times I get to be like, Well, here's why I wear it, and here's what it means. It's kind of like that that badge of honor. Yeah. That you can share about if you want or if other people get it then they get it. And they're like, "I see you." Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, Crystal. This has just been beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing your heart today. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I always feel bad saying wonderful, like, hey, we just talked about terrible, horrible things. I know. It's been great. I know. It's really hard for me, too, because these conversations are really beautiful. I can't sometimes come up with another word. and But it is about the people I'm talking to, the people that reach out and want to have these conversations, mostly stand under that bridge of full spectrum living and totally get that, that, you know, the beautiful and the horrible um, can coexist. Mm -hmm. And And I think deep down, we all want to have, you know, live full in full spectrum. Um, But some of us have to kind of be the instigators of it. Because we weren't taught to, again, you know, it's back to the very, very common denominator, you know, of, of this project is just getting death out of the closet, you know, just allowing people permission to even say the word yes, and, and not run from it because we're so programmed. I mean, there was, I don't know if you're erased with it. I wasn't in my family, but certainly heard, you know, we don't talk about it because something might happen. You know, we might, the superstition surrounding death, yes. even, that you could be inviting it. And so we've really created a monster out of the word. Yes. And then grief, you know, grief is, I think, a little bit more gentle, but still people have really strong feelings about that as well. And it's these conversations and people opening up their hearts is the only way that I think that we can really understand and become more literate at being able to sit with people during their own unique circumstances. And again, you know, your story and and your book isn't, uh, okay, step ABC, but now I'm a little bit more understanding when I know of someone or I'm in the presence of someone or I'm introduced to someone who's had a similar experience to yours. Because I've actually taken the time to listen yeah. and sit with your story. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, where can people, if they want to right now, go find you, where's the first place to look? And we'll have everything in the program notes for sure. Yes. Uh, well, of course, sharingsolace.com is probably the best and most thorough place to find Madeline. And I'm kind of there too. Um <laughs> But also, you know, find us on Facebook and Instagram. We're probably, we're on all the social medias. Mm-hmm. I prefer Instagram because it's pretty. I see lots of pretty pictures. Um, but yeah, you can just look for the big pink butterfly. You'll find us. Okay. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time today, Crystal. Thank you. All right. Take good care. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.